Okay, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. I'm uh, very excited to have Larry Wintoniak sitting across from me. Um, for those of you who don't know him, he's a two-time Royal Bank Cup winner as a player, uh, Colonial Cup winner. Um, in coaching, he had 822 Junior A games as a head coach, uh, 120 pro games as a head coach, and now 174 as an assistant coach. Um, the list of accolades that go along with those, I mean, you've been to the Dudley Hewitt Cup twice. You've been in the Royal Bank Finals twice. Um, we can go on and on about your coaching career. It's It's been impressive, to say the least. Uh, but I think I, I sit across from you as a, a guy in a line of many players who um, you really uh, showed me things as a player that was uh, – it's hard to put into words, to be honest. You, I was talking with Jordan Chong on the way here, and we were talking about just the way you taught us about life and um, made us become men at a time when we needed to be taught stuff like that about competing and uh, showing up and looking, presenting ourselves the right way and um, being respectable to everyone. And and uh, it, it, you as a person, it's a real honor to sit across from you tonight. Oh, gee, that's a hell of an intro. Like, thank you very much. No, I, I don't know. I just, I appreciate all the kind words. And uh, we just came off a banquet here the other night. And, you know, there was a lot of good, you know, we have a lot of good kids. And you, I guess the goal as a coach or your, your job is to, you know, is to make sure that you're teaching those life lessons. It's not always about winning and losing. I've always said that. And I've, you you learn that over the years, right? Because the fact that you still got to feed your, you know, at that when you're when you're a full time coach, and that's your livelihood. You got to you got to put food on the table for your family. And sometimes that winning comes to the forefront all the time, whether you like it or not. But I always thought that beyond that, it's more so the um, yeah, it goes beyond more than winning and losing. Believe me. And, and if you can if you can help somebody and make them a better person and make them a better player that's what it's all about yeah absolutely well i was <laughs> i was <laughs> i i was i probably written about you I, I was saying before we got on here i wrote about you in college wrote a paper on big impactors in my life and that uh finding my way out to Dryden, ontario and having you mentor me for for two years you've always been somebody that um has ranked really high on my list and and so I was always curious where you learned your life lessons from and how um, your early life impacted where you went and how you went. So I thought maybe we'd go back to Port Arthur and, and we could start there and, and walk me back through that kind of thing and, and how you became Larry, the guy who you beat a team and you crack a beer open with your eyeball guy. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me about that one. Um, <clears throat> well, geez, um Again, thank you very much. I, I don't know. I, I you want to take these life lessons that you learn. You know, you go back and you it's 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 from your parents basically. And uh, born and raised in, in in Port Arthur, and we became Thunder Bay because Port Arthur and Fort William was uh, two cities next door to each other, and uh, we became Thunder Bay. And uh, my mom and dad came over in a boat, and uh, both hard workers and. Um, nobody owed them nothing they thought they owed you know they owed Canada something and so they worked and my dad worked and my mom worked and they all had jobs and like m multiple jobs 
And uh, it's funny because we just talk about it all the time. You know, like I have two jobs sometimes, three jobs. Well, I wonder why because, you know, I know my dad, you know, was, uh, was a lineman, hurt his leg. I became a lineman, and, you know, kind of followed in that footsteps. And, uh, but he also had, you know, shoveled snow, raked grass, picked up garbage, uh, washed windows, you know, did, you know, very humble, humble man and just did whatever it take to, uh, to put food on the table and to uh, enable, you know, our family to, uh, to do things the recreation way. And they never had a car, never wanted one. And uh, so I knew how to walk, I knew how to run, and I could run a lot. I knew what transit was. We took the 50-seater or whatever you call it there. We took, took the bus all the time. <laughs> and there's a lot of humbling experiences you learn, and you, um, it, it's, it, those are the things that you learn a lot on, how, like how hard. I remember my dad, was. Uh, he loved baseball, but we would take the, we would take the wagon, uh, and put the baseball equipment on the wagon and and walk probably a mile, mile and a half to practice and have a great practice at the at the schoolyard and then pack up and walk all the way home. And on the way home there's a lot of these little corner stores and we'd have our little ice cream and and we'd create memories. And my dad was a hard you know, not a very very good communicator, never really talked too much, but he was more, you know, um, action speaks louder than words, sort of guy, and you learn a lot from that. And so you know, you just—it's one of those things that you learn. I mean, you know, when you're when you're disciplined, there was a reason why you're disciplined, and you kind of knew what was right and what was wrong. And nowadays, if you ever did, you know, what what your parents, you know, what my parents did to me would would be, you know, you'd be calling, you know, social services, and you know, it's it's so wrong. But it's you know like I, I don't I don't raise my kids you know I didn't raise my kids like that because I knew it was right or wrong whatever, I just knew that, you know if I did something wrong I knew like it was either you know the wooden spoon backhander or uh, or kneeling on rice for half an hour, well that was never too you know too much fun but, boy oh boy did you you knew what was right and what was wrong there was no gray area and that's, I think that's how I still live this today there's no gray area like it's right or wrong or that's how I that's how I played that's how I coach and that's how I live yeah that's <laughs> we're we're out eating we're out eating at BP's before this folks and uh, I reach over to grab a toothpick and uh, I grab myself one and I put it in my mouth and Larry looks at me and goes didn't I didn't you wear a letter for me and I'm like well, yeah he's like what teamwork did I ever teach you right grabs me one gives me a rib right I just Larry that's that's what you grew up with, like you, you pull together, right? You you come together as one, and it's been a big big lesson. Um, I don't know. I it's hard to put into words. Like you, you're you come from a a different time. Yeah, and uh, I'm still coaching, so you know I've I've adapted to to change, and I'm willing to change. I want to learn all the time, and. Yeah. I'm pretty good at technology where some of the guys of my age, you know, just have given up on it, right? So, I don't know. It's always intrigued me. Um, my kids are, uh, are always helpful, right? They, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're good to me in, in that aspect of if I need a question or, or, uh, or, or uh, uh, some help on, in that area, they'll always, they'll always help me out. So, it's, uh, 
I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't think of it. I. I don't think of it that way. I just. It's. I live one day at a time. Like, you know, when you when you told me you're going to do this, like, geez, I had a lot of memories and a lot of, uh, you know, like a few, you know, tears that were shed, and uh, you know, you're thinking about your parents. You know, like the how, why, you know, like why did they do that? Like, but, I would never. I didn't know the difference. What and what is it like? So I that that's what I I like about it is that that's how it was and I I think it's it was awesome I, and you know you before you could go out you'd have to go dig the garden like you're digging some potatoes out or you're taking up the the corn or you're you're digging you're picking peas or you're pulling carrots and washing them or you're shoveling coal into your basement before you head out if you wanted to do something if you wanted a bike you had to earn it everything you did was you earned it you earned the right there was no nothing given. So you didn't know that. And, you know, because of that, um, I always wanted, like, a, a car or a, some kind of transportation because, you know, every, that's just the way everybody's doing it. And then I, I bought a motorcycle and brand new, and then I bought my, a brand new car, a 1977 Monte Carlo from Nippon, Ontario, cash. And knew, yeah, honest to God, I had 70, I had, uh, I want to say it was seven thousand dollars in my pocket, and I walked in there and prodded in a peacock and counted <laughs> counted out seven grand to the guy. It was like it was a it was a blue Landau two door. It was a beautiful car. Like I just rode like a boat, eh? and I just I just loved it. And I haven't had a new car since. Uh, I tell the story here in Kinderley. I I finally got a, a a new truck here, and it's uh it's been that long. So. You know, you sometimes you got to treat yourself. So I treat myself when I was young, and now I treat myself when I'm old. Did you always love hockey? <laughs> I, I, I've heard a couple different stories of you from back in the, the Thunder Bay days that you weren't the most skilled player, but you worked your, your tail off, and uh, your, your grit, your determination, and the way you bought into a team really uh, made you stood out from the pack. Well, I always thought that uh, it's hard to, uh, um, I couldn't skate with a lick. I, I worked, you know, like, where I played, like, we didn't have the, you know, we didn't have the money, so we always went to the outdoor rink, and it was called Fitzgerald Rink, and it was about huh, six blocks away from my house, so I'd walk there all the time, and it was cold those days, right, you know, like, you'd go to the shack, warm up, go back out there, you know, get the shit kicked out of here, or come home with, you know, like, a, you know, you know, you're playing with a real puck. If if you play with a ball, well, you're a pussy. You know, we didn't play with a tennis ball. You play with a real puck, and you know. And if you wanted that puck, well, then you have to work for it, right? And if you didn't work for it, well, then you're not going to get it. And yeah, you'd get pushed around, and you'd get slashed, and you get whatever. And that's just you know, it's pecking order, right? And you, that's where you, that's where you earn respect. And there was you know 20, 25 kids on 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 that ice. And a lot of them were maybe were 19, and some of them were 14, and some of them were 10. But we all played, and we all played for the right reason, not to go after that puck and try to score a goal. So you learn that, and uh, I just love to compete. And I think, again, it was one of those things. Everything that I did was mo almost like I went to the store to buy milk and uh, uh, bread for my mom while I would get her to time me. I, I, you know, She would time me, so I'd run there, and I'd run back, and... We'd mark it down on a, on a, on on her piece of paper that she used to keep in a drawer, and um, and that's where right where her smokes were. And I'd 
<laughs> it was a true story, but it, uh, I remember one time she did that. She did it right in her cigarette, cigarette uh, um, uh, carton there, and, you know, my checking my time out and you know like you know oh you're getting better you're getting faster so i i don't know is that is that where it came from probably but you didn't know that back then right yeah and so then like you grew up playing your minor hockey in thunder bay yeah were you playing oh i was it outdoor outdoor hockey never had the money to play indoors we just played outdoor it was Was called called rec was there a different uh was it cost more to play indoor yeah it was minor hockey that you know, just like now, right? Minor yeah. hockey. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And um, you could play indoors, and you know the artificial ice. Well, we, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't matter. You know, that wasn't going to happen for for a few years, until until I made this this one team. But uh, in in all honesty, the biggest thing in outdoor hockey, not rec hockey, was that um, it was called the jamboree. So it was a one game shot, right? A one game winner takes all so you know there was eight or eight or nine different you know outdoor rinks in our community at that time so we would we would play and we'd be pitted against uh you know brent park or carrick or oliver road uh, and you know there was our uh, the west end as they called it in, in port arthur and we would play the port arthur teams and so we were fitzgerald bruins and uh, we had this uh, we had the boston bruins uniform on and you know i thought it was like it was like, you know, Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, like all the older guys, like Johnny Busick, the chief. And so I always thought that that was the greatest thing, putting that jersey on and going out there. And we actually won one nothing, and I scored the winning goal, and I didn't even know I scored the winning goal. It went off my head or something like that. And <laughs> and ever since then, like, you know, you got some accolades. Like, I got the winning goal, and oh, my God, like I was, I was, I was a hero, you know. But, uh, you know, like... But to my mom and dad, I was just there, you know, it didn't matter to them. They, you know, I didn't make my bed that day or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it didn't matter. Like, that That didn't matter to them. It was, it was, you You got to work. You know, you're, you're, so that was one of the things you, you learned. She would never let me leave. I always tell the story to the kids that I would never be able to leave the house until I made my bed. And I always like, what, like, what the hell? Like, why? Like, why am I doing this? And I, you know, it doesn't. You don't get it until after. And I tell the story because when my mom passed away, and I, would, you know, a couple of times, you know, you make your bed, and then who do you think of? Well, your mom. So I always tell that story. So I always make my bed every morning, it never fails. And uh, I'll make it in the hotel if, like, we're on a we're on a road trip. My bed's made, and because why? Well, in that, you know. 30 40 seconds a minute whatever well i think of my mom at that particular time so those are values i think that you know that can that will stick with you for the rest of your life and it'll have you know like to me that's important a little thing like that but i always tell like guys that i work out with i've got some good stories about that about you know if you don't work out if you don't make your bed you're not working out here or you're not playing for me and what do they say to that <laughs> well there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of obviously you know um tug of war type of thing but I I honest to God sent the kid home one day because he didn't make his bed uh, because I thought that uh, I, I really thought that he was really um, dependent on his mom too much and actually used her which really bothered me you know like just ran her show and he was like 12 years old or 13 years old I, I didn't understand that so I made him 
before he could come in, I used to make his bed, and I told his mom that, and sure enough, he started making his bed, and one day he pulls up, and I'm standing by the door, and his mom pulls up with his vehicle, and he's sitting there, and he looks in, and they drive away. And he comes back, and he goes, where were you? He goes, oh, I had to go make my bed. <laughs> so obviously, obviously, it was working. It was working, absolutely. Why not? Isn't that a great story? Like, I think it's great. It's fantastic. So you grow up playing in Port Arthur. Where along the lines do the Thunder Bay Twins come in then? Well, boy, that's a... And, it, and, and yeah. is the Thunder Bay Twins, is there a step before that? Because if there is, we can talk about that. But yeah. the Thunder Bay Twins back in the day must have been like playing for Montreal or Toronto or something, right? Like they were, they kept winning Allen Cups and... They were kind of the Broad Street bullies of the time, right? You said yourself they they were the toughest team out there, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I we always took the bus. Like it was a Fort William Gardens at that time, and that had to have been at least I don't know twenty miles away, fifteen miles away from my house. So me and my dad would go. My dad would get off work. We'd have a quick bite and. Or we'd go, uh, we take the bus down to the where the buses exchange and we go into the pool hall and have a hot dog and then hop on the main line, which was the one that, that transferred to inner, the inner city, which was Fort William. So we'd go right there, get a transfer, hop on another bus. So it'd be like three transfers to get to this game. And my dad always, like, he used to work at the Port Arthur Arena taking tickets. And I didn't really know that because I was probably too young at that time. I didn't understand that, but that's one of his side jobs. And he, he loved hockey, but he never played it. Didn't understand it. Just just wanted to be involved in work and make some money for the family. So anyway, we we uh, we did that, and we used to go to these games, and and I just you know th- this is what I want to do. Like I, I want to do this. Like you know I just it was you know there, at that time there was five thousand people. You know, for any, anywhere from four to five thousand people at that rink every game, and we used to play the OHA teams, like the Bear, you know, Barry, like you know, Don Cherry talks about a lot of those OHA guys. You know, well, those are the teams that used to come there for exhibition games against us, against that senior Twins team back in the '80s, and I always wanted to play there. So, when I finished junior, I only played junior actually one year for Mental Mike. And I t- told you kind of a brief story about him. He was a beauty, but uh, I learned a lot off him. I really did. He's, he was, uh, he was he he uh, studied the, the Russian theory on training, on fitness, and on hockey. He was red, like you know the the Red Army. He was uh, a, a very strict disciplinarian. He would you know like he would pick up pucks. He would never have a stick, and um, uh, he had these scars in his face. We always wondered why, but his battery blew up in his face, and he's got these scars, and he looks like a Russian, bald head, but this ripped. Like I would say maybe six percent body fat he would come in and have a whistle around his neck and these gloves and then if we did something wrong he'd pick up a puck and start firing at guy firing at us and you know i hit i was hit a few times with the with the puck and so anyway i finally made the team it was called the blades and uh made that team and uh is that is that junior a yeah it was junior a we played it like thunder bay was a little different at that time like was still port arthur for william and it was, I want to say there was five junior A teams at, at, in, in, our, in our city and very competitive. And uh, usually the two best teams, the Port Arthur Mars and the uh, Fort William Hurricanes. Then we had the Fort William Canadians. And uh, then we had the, uh, um, the Blades. 
so we were kind of like the lesser team, you know, like, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even remember those, honest to God, I don't remember those, those games at all. I was probably scared shitless, number one, and number two, I just, you know, like I said, I just wanted to try not to get better, so I just worked at it all the time, and uh, so after that, then uh, uh, I knew a couple of guys, because I started working as a lineman, and I got some connections, uh, um, a lot of the ex-pro guys would come back and get jobs with the, with the city, and they would end up working with us, so they would end up playing with uh, with the senior team, because that's what they, you know, they would sign out January 10th type of thing, right? Because they were good players. Like yeah, they'd absolutely. Come, yeah, they would come from Europe or, you know, some of the guys would, would you know, um, uh, Gary Veneruzzo and, and, and Ralph Stewart were two guys that were uh, were very instrumental and, and, and great people and helped me kind of find my way in that. And then next thing you know, like I'm going to these camps, I'm going to this the, the Twins trial, right? So... You know, it it was a it was a long time, Nui. And what happened was um, seven seven years. Uh, the seventh year, I finally made it. You tried out for a senior team for seven years. For seven years, yeah, that's a true story. Like seven years, I got I'd always get cut early, like sometimes in November. How how young were you when you first started trying out? Well, right when I was twenty, because I I can vividly remember. I think it was twenty seven at that time, and seven was always my lucky number. This was my seventh year, and Everybody goes like you're, you know, you're just being used by them, and a lot of times I did get, I did get through till like right to January 10th, but they would take me on the road, and then they would cut me. Like they would take me on the road, and we would play, and I, you know, and I didn't know why. I just wanted, I didn't care. A lot of the guys didn't want to go on the road, or they were married, or you know, like I'm not going on the road. We're going, yeah. to, we're going to St. Boniface. It's going to be a shit show, and I'll let Larry go. He'll. So that's how that's how it all transpired, and. So for your seven years then, Larry, you did play for them during the seven years, but you were never signed after January 10th. Month. Never never had a chance. So I would go back to, uh, we would call it the uh, the commercial league, and our commercial league was good because we had a cup. We played, like, that was kind of like the, the American League team of, uh, of the Thunder Bay Twins because they would pick up a lot of guys from that. There was a lot of good hockey players in that. And some guys just thought it was too clicky, and you know the twins. You never get in there anyway, and you know like whatever. And, yeah. But they were they were good, and they you know Gary Cook was the GM, and he was very crafty, and he knew how to you know he knew the, all the rules, and he was he was so smart, and he was another guy that I learned a lot of stuff from from the GM side of it, you know itineraries, uh, meal plan like meals and road trips, and you know all that stuff. You know what I know today was. You know, because of him and how. So while you're how, playing, you're a sponge and you're just soaking up everything. Absolutely. Why? Well, I mean, why not? Because I, I always vivid that. I always looked at up. You know, like I was up in the stands and I, and I'd watch them play and they won the Allen Cup and I go, man, I want to be like, I just, I just want a chance to be there. So, every year I just keep trying out and keep working at it and. So on the seventh year, you make it. Yeah. They keep you like. Are you over the moon? Or are you cried like a baby? <laughs> cried like a baby, and uh, we all cried. Like uh, Ralph Stewart, Billy McDonald, Billy Mack was the head coach then, and we—I just couldn't believe it. I could not believe they said it. And when I came out, all the guys were cheering, you know, like pat me on the back and way to go, Larry. And it, it was one of the best days of my life for sure. Like you know, at that particular time, you thought, man, it was 
this was unbelievable. So there's been a lot of ups and downs in that, but that, you know, I, again, it just tells you ne never give up perseverance. You know, so many things could have happened and did happen. Yeah. But I would just never. I I didn't know what no. I I I wouldn't give in. It just no no was not good enough to me. I wanted to be. I wanted to be in that team. So. You know you. That's a really cool story. Yeah. Right? You, like of just like. You know, being told no and not taking no for an answer, right? Yeah. And continuing to show up and put your best foot forward. And I had, a, you know, like just, I just, you know, got married and, you know, starting a family and, you know, like there's a lot of things that you have to, you have to deal with in a, at that particular time too. And you have to deal with your job too, right? Because, you know, and it was yeah, a, it was, it was, it was a weekend league. It was a weekend league. You'd always play in the weekends, but you proc, the way Cookie ran it was like pro and he was a pro guy because he always, he always ran it like, uh, like Fergie, uh, like John Ferguson senior, you know, ran ran his teams like uh in winnipeg because you know that's that's how that all started that relationship and they became friends and gary cook and fergie became friends and uh you know and i think this is how it all happened but it's uh you know those years were great years and and during that time sean what had happened was i also got involved with the junior team with the flyers with dave siciliano so dave would let me come on the ice uh, it all started because I, of course, I started. I liked fitness, and Mental Mike back in the day would get me going, and I would go to the I would go to the Confederation College and work out, and uh, he'd show me the way. And man, I liked it. I loved it. I wanted more of it. I wanted to, you know. So I I really enjoyed training and all that part of it. And so um, Dave uh, approached me one day and said, if you wanted to, you know, you want to help out, you want to be a fitness guy there, and you can. So we used to run. They practiced in the Port Arthur Arena in training camp before they moved into the big rink. And uh, I used to run a 5K every day. So we used to practice, I want to say, at eight, around 7.30, it, it depended on, on, on which day. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes we'd practice 6.30, you know, right around that time anyway. And, and it would still be a little bit light out, but we would run 5K every day. And I know that a lot of the guys probably... You know, I don't even know if guys are listening to this in Thunder Bay. If they do, great. But I remember those days that we ran there, and I'm sure some guys cheated and whatever. But I, I never cheated. I was, I wanted to be the first guy all the time, right? So I was leading the pack, and there were some really good kids that ran with me. And uh, well, I, I gotta send this <laughs> back to Bill McDonald because he, me and him chatted about you, and uh, he said when we get done with this, make sure to send him the link, right? And so that's. <laughs> You're making me feel soft, right? Like, I remember coming um, when I tried out for you the first time was in LaRange. We were coaching there. And uh, we were doing two-a-day, two-a-days then. And I remember the worst thing is my, my, my gear wouldn't dry. So you get, like, this rash. That you just, like, it was, like, needles driving into your legs, right? But out we go, and you couldn't stop, right? Just tryouts. We're doing two-a-days. And, uh, but here you are running 5K, like, every day. Like, I would have. I would have been in the fetal position probably back then. Yeah. It was. You would have chewed me up and spit me off for lunch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I don't know, but that's, that's the only way I knew it. I didn't, I wasn't an expert. I didn't, you know, I wasn't studying it or, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, take my education in it or nothing like that. I just, just did it. So it was kind of like I said to you before, like, you know, all I knew was my dad worked, so I didn't know any different, right, whether it be right or wrong or 
just do it. And that's how you gain the respect, I think. And so Dave would then invite me on the ice. So then I really learned, because Dave was a disciple of, D of Dave King. And he was in Hockey Canada, you know, like, Dave was a very successful coach. And he was, the, he was more the tech, technology guy, the X's and O's, and very deliberate and very intelligent man. And well, Billy Mack was, you know, that hard nose, you know, let's go get him. And, you know, if you're going to lose, we're going to show him who's boss in our rink type of thing. And, but he would get the most out of us, a great motivator, and, you, and you, you'd, you'd go to the wall. You'd, you'd, you'd play for him like unbelievable. Like you'd go through the wall for that man. So, it was, so with those two guys, and then Dave let me on the ice. Well, that's how I became a better skater because I started to skate more. And that's how that seventh year became true because of all those, you know, those three or four years leading up to it, you know, practicing with the junior team and getting better, you know, you know, skating backwards and forwards. It, it was all it was all important to me, and I, I didn't know that, right, until, until... Yeah, well, I've actually been having conversations about uh, um, how kids in small towns get... how small towns can have really good hockey players, essentially. And we were actually talking about Edam specifically, and uh, been told that Edam leaves its rink unlocked during the day, but locks up, you know, whatever the kitchen and some areas that you don't want people in, but so that kids can go and skate all day long if they want to, right? Yeah. And then, well, me and you both know you're just saying it again, right? And I keep hearing it over and over again, actually, as I do this podcast. Is the more you're on the ice, the better you're gonna get, right? The more you feel your blades and get to mess around with it and skate front and backwards the better you get and I was no different growing up as a kid I was fortunate enough dad uh, used to go flood the rink all the time by hand they used to have natural ice in Helmont and while he was doing that we were allowed to skate on any part of the ice that didn't have water on it so you'd go tearing up the ice on the other side and he'd slowly come and flood behind you right and actually I was just talking to um I got Gord Redden on next week and Bart and Wade said the same thing about when Gord would go down and do the same thing they had keys to the rink, and they go and they go skate, right? Well, by no means am I an NHLer, but I played enough hockey that being on the ice that much helps. And that's what you're talking about, right? Like, the more you're on, it leads to um, <laughs> making you a better player because uh, hockey is, well, if you can't skate, you can't play. Well, no, nowadays it's so true. But I'll take it a step farther. Like, I know nowadays it's, it's a lot different. But I just think in, when we played, we just played. Like, th I know there was no structure. Sometimes there's too much structure here. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, just go play. Like, just go, go do your own thing and, you know, like be yourself and go on the ice and whether it be two, three, three kids or whatever, you know, you don't need, you don't need somebody there telling you what to do. Oh, skate backwards or yelling and screaming and, you know, cross, you know, crossovers or... Well, I know it how did. much you love the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. And at times, you can see that in their game. They don't know whether they're going or coming. Or yeah, it's yeah, and and, and but it's, it's so true. And that's a, that's a you know, kudos to that community to leave the rink open like that. Like you know, sometimes here we we have a problem. You know, we, we do. We have we have pro you know we have a problem if it's dead ice anyway. Let the kids skate. Yeah, let the kids like, skate. Like it. It doesn't make sense to me at times that that they won't let guys just go on the ice, you know. But uh, you know, as a as a junior coach now, 
you know, you, a lot of guys will stay on the ice with you, right? And we'll just play around and shoot pucks and, you know, just pass well, pucks. And Coming to Dryden was, did wonders for my game because I, right. I was a decent hockey player. Right. I always wonder what, <laughs> you get a batch of us young guys coming here, Larry, and I don't, you must have been licking your chops as we all walk through the door, right, and we start playing. But the cool thing was the, being on the ice every day makes you a better player, no doubt about it. But there was a 15 or 20 minutes before, depending on how early you wanted. And if you could talk the ice guy into letting you skate for a little while after, it was probably 15 to 20 minutes after. And uh, I always tell the story. We used to, I had a milk carton. And uh, I put it down inside the blue line. And uh, I think it was uh, Bryant Nichols at the time. And I'd pass across to him. And I had to sauce over the, the, the milk carton or milk crate. And I put it at different spots, making it tougher and tougher, and changing the angles and the arcs of, of my saucer pass to him. Because I always, I've always been the passer. I've, I've always liked the first pass, and I was trying to work on the sauce pass. And that's, I'm no by no means the best sauce power uh, sauce passer. But at that time, there was extra little 15 minutes after every practice where a guy just liked shooting, and I just kept feeding him the puck over and over, and just changing the angles on where I had to put the puck. That makes you like those little things half the kids never get because you need the ice time in order for that. And that was one thing that junior, right? If you showed up early to practice and you wanted to go out early, you could. And if you could convince the ice guy not to come flood the ice for 10 extra minutes, you could go shoot the puck. And those minutes add up. And those minutes when they add up create good things. Absolutely. I mean, those are great habits though. And then the, uh, the ice guy that ran the, uh, the rink in, in Dryden while where I stayed, that was, um, um, his mom was my billet, so I always got some pull there. So <laughs> that was uh, Zilkins back in the day, and uh, he was uh, Spinner's neighbor there. So we we'd always have a, like a little insight there, you know, if we can steal an extra. And a lot of those, a lot of times we timed it perfectly because they would, you know, it's it's almost noon, and all the guys they don't want to flood the rink. It's lunchtime, right? So That's we kind of right. we timed it perfectly. So That's of, a good point cuz a lot of times we oh, yeah. get done at noon yep. and nobody come and you could skate for an hour. Yeah. So like we, if, we timed it properly and we knew like we knew what we were doing because you know that hey that's free ice right like and the organization wasn't going to pay for it cuz we were already strapped for money so that was enough so I was that was kind of a strategy that, you know we always used and I mean I look even at here you know if we can get an extra half an hour I'm taking it and I'm sure every coach does the same thing so it's not just it's just not us. <laughs> uh, so you go back to the Twins. Let's go back here. You're, you're playing for the Twins. So you get kept after January 10th. And that year you go on to win an Allen Cup. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. In 87, we won the, the Allen Cup. Man, what is that like? Oh, well, the first year I never got a chance to really play very many games. Um, up to the lead up to the playoffs, I did. And um, it, it was it was unbelievable. That's but that that fire was burning inside me because that was the next step, right? Like I, I'm on the team, but I wasn't satisfied. I wanted I wanted to I wanted to play. I wanted to. I always visualize. You know, you you, you look at the, you look at the at the NHL, and you know when you're when you're about to win the Stanley Cup and you're jumping over the boards. It's unbelievable. What a feeling that is, right? So there's a li- it, it's a little empty feeling when you don't play because you don't feel part of it, but our team was so good that that the guys made you feel good about yourself you know so as soon as you come in the room like you're getting sprayed anyway and it's unbelievable feeling and the cigars are there and the party's there and the bottom line is that 
you know, unless I told the story, who knows it, how many games I played anyway. Like, but the ring is important. That's what you play for, and you play for each other. And you're, you know, a lot of good teammates there. And then the sec, the second year, because we won back to back, I got a chance to play more and contribute more. So it's almost like I, you know, you fulfill, fulfill your, you fulfill your dream, you know. And then, then the third year we lost. We were, we were trying for the three peat, and. Uh, Actually, it was called the drive for five. The other, the, first, the other two years we won, but I didn't get a chance. I wasn't on the team. Wasn't at that on the time. team. No, so yeah. it was a drive for five, and we played. In, it was in Charlottetown, and uh, uh, we ended up losing the Charlottetown Islanders at that time. Uh, they won the Allen Cup in uh, in in PEI, and then uh, PEI had that good of a hockey team. Oh yeah, they were good. Like they had they had some they had, they had some like those guys were tough too. Like you know you know how it is like. You know, like Thunder Bay, we thought we were tough, but some of those East Coast guys were tough too, and they were big. And they had a few NHL guys too, and uh, really, like, man, oh man, we had some good tilts. And you were talking off air that the three-fight rule used to be still in back then, right? Yep. And so in these games, are you uh, dusting off the knuckles uh, often, or, or it kind of depended on the game, or that was just part of it? Well, it was part of it. I think there was no... I mean, you have to be disciplined, obviously. You didn't want to take stupid penalties, but the biggest thing was that, you know, if there was a score to be settled, it was settled. And we policed the game, right? The referees didn't have to police the game. We policed ourselves. And and I told you the story about warming up. Like, we used to warm up together. So we'd step on the ice, and we warm up together. Like, not warm up. We'd skate around, and then then we'd separate, and then the warm up would start. But a lot of times... The, the the score would get settled then like you know you'd have a few words with some guys I you know I, I know for a fact that I went up to a couple of guys and said hey you know you touch him again I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna bust you yeah well, you know, what are you gonna do bust well let's go right now so we did so we just we <laughs> yeah. we and went where, and where are the refs in all this well the referees are having smoke in the room and they don't you know at that particular time they're puffing on their dart and they don't like they don't even know what's going on, right? Because nowadays that they ought to be out there and watch everything. And if you, you know, geez, God Almighty, if your blade, if your stick goes over the red line, you know, like it's, it's so microscoped. Everything's micromanaged, and it's, you know, like whatever. But I just say, like, it was always good when we played because we policed ourselves. There was no, there was no idiots. It brings up, and we were talking. Well, I've told this story to my friends over and over and over <laughs> again. I don't know how to bring it up other than I can just imagine you guys skating together. But, but Slapshot and Ogie Oglethorpe, who wasn't actually, it was based off a guy that you knew. Bill Oglethorpe, yep. Port Arthur boy. Geraldton, actually. I want to say it was, it was Geraldton. Came to Thunder Bay and uh, claimed the fame. He dated my sister. And uh, it was it was like a, a, a where our high school is located right across the street was a psychiatric ward, a big one, the main one in, in Port Arthur. And then right across the street from that, so it was like a tri trifecta type of thing, and it was a district jail. So we had the toughest school, and nobody ever wanted to come near us. Or if you you know you said hey, uh, we're from Lakeview or whatever, and they'd be going oh my god like that's a crazy part of town like you got the jail and you got so anyway Goldie <clears throat> that played 
for the Thunder Bay Vulcans. Like he was a one one tough cookie. And Willie Trognitz played there too. Like two two pretty good guys. And Billy McDonald played on that team. I, I want to say what they were called the Port Arthur Mars at that particular time. And um, I think Goldie got himself into trouble, and then he had to spend some time in jail. So Billy Mac's mum would make him a lunch. And then uh, Bill Bill would go to the jail uh, and get him out of jail, give him the lunch, and then they go to practice. And at that <laughs> particular time, Ab Cava, <laughs> Albert Cava, Ab Cava, Cava Brick, and I, I'm pretty sure Ab's still up and running in Thunder Bay there. And Rory Cava's his son, and myself and the, the caveman were uh, roommates on many occasions, and that could be for another podcast. But uh, we... Uh, his dad coached there, and he was the only guy that could really control Bill, you know, Billy Goldthorpe, and some really great stories like what happens in that dress room, and and I don't know, like a lot of times this is secondhand news or thirdhand news, but you know, this is these are this is right from Bill Mack, and uh, you know, we used to sit down and have a few few beers because Billy was my, you know, like Billy, you know, Billy coached me, my mentor, you know, everything everything that. Uh, that I've gotten out of hockey was because of him and Dave Siciliano. There's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that those guys have put me where I am today, and I'm very grateful for it. So, yeah, great stories. <laughs> so, I, I mean, if you want me to go keep going, a goalie now. So, goalie. Okay, so let's just let's 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 just track back a bit. So here we are, like we're you know we we lost the Allen Cup, and. You know, we would we would get four, you know, four, four thousand, five thousand people. Yeah, like great fans. It was it was unbelievable, and everybody used to smoke, and you can drink in the rain. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It, it, it was a, it was a, uh, we had a guy Wally Pressinger. He he went to the New York Ranger camp. One of the toughest men I know, and one of the nicest gentlemen I know. Like he's uh, he was a hell of a guy, and I remember he worked at the elevators because at that particular time we were a port, right? So. I think there was about 12 or you know at least eight to 12 elevators around in in on that lake superior port so most of the guys worked there because it was great money and uh, someone bet wally a hundred bucks to jump off the elevator top of the elevator well you know how big an elevator is always Holy crap. For, and he jumped off right into the slip well the thing was he he didn't he didn't surface because of all the sludge and everything and like so everybody was worried but that's how strong he was. He got out of that and came to his top and was looking for his money. <laughs> he got a hundred bucks out of the no deal. No kidding. So that was a good. That was another good, good Wally story. But what had happened after we lost the Allen Cup? Uh, um, Gary Cook ended up. Um, we went to a, we went pro. So Thunder Bay went pro. Bramford Smoke, uh, St. Thomas Wildcats, and we were called the. Uh, uh, um, we we were Thunder Bay Thunderhawks. The, the very first year, right? And we played in, in, in that, at that particular time, it was called the Colonial Hockey League. So, um, you know, Flint, Michigan was in it, um, Muskegon, Port Huron. Like a lot of, like there's, you know, I think it was a six or eight, eight team league. I, I'd have to go back and, and look. But anyway, it was, that's what happened. We became, so when you go, when you go pro, are you getting paid now then? For yeah, it? yeah. Do yeah. you remember what you were making? Anything like that? No, for me then, what all they asked me to do is they uh, they said, well, Larry, I don't think you're going to make this team, but we want you to stick around and we can, some, you know, because you could fight three times still in, anyway, so it was a good thing for me. So I, I became like a player assistant with Billy Mack because Billy Mack worked full-time, I worked full-time, so I made an agreement and um, became kind of like a player assistant 
So you're you're Reg Dunlopping. Yeah, you're player coaching, except not head coaching, assistant yeah, coaching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, we play a few times, you know, here and there, and you know, the, Jacques Mallot would come to town, and that's the guy, you know, that's the guy would have to take care of. But we had a we had the toughest team. There, like there was there was like we had Bruce Ramsey, Vern Ray. Uh, uh, we had Mel Langelstead that played on that team. Uh, Brian Wells played on that team. We had a good team. We ended up winning um, a game seven at the Fort William Gardens in double overtime. Everton Blackwood scored the winning goal. This is for the Colonial Cup. That was for the Colonial Cup, and uh, man, what a what a, what an event that was! So it was it was it was unbelievable to to be involved in that. And then the following year, um, uh, what was wait a second? So you yeah. win the Colonial Cup? Yep. In the Fort William Gardens. Yep. Which is, you're talking about hockey barns. That's a that's a hockey rink, right? Yeah, that's the ones you you go into and you smell. Yeah, and you know it's a hockey rink, like Flin Flon and Weyburn, like I told you before. Yeah. Those are the three rinks that I can honestly say when you walk into the rink, you smell that it it's that's it smells like tradition, rich tradition. Yeah. So. It's you know I heard New Westminster back in the day was very very similar. I mean Estevan Bruin like when when I coached in the SJ there Estevan the old barn there that was kind of like that too. Yeah. It was it was very very similar to it, but that's the reminder when you walk in a rink you knew ooh this is a rink this has got some history. So you win in double overtime, like can you even get out of the rink? Four thousand fans trying to get down to you or or did they come down or what? We we was, didn't we didn't leave. Actually, we I don't think we I think we left maybe at six in the morning. Yeah. Uh, the curling club was open and they had a beer gardens there, so obviously we went in into the beer gardens and celebrated there for all hours of the night. Went back to the dressing room and just it was uh, it was it was an all nighter. There's no doubt about it. It was, you know, and I still have my ring and uh, like I said, it was uh, when you went, you know, it was three three wins or three championships in four years. You know, it's like they, like it's like they when the Oilers won their, their heydays, the Islanders won their heydays. Yeah. When you win one, you want you want another one. And when you yeah. win two, you want you get greedy, and that's a good greed. So we became a juggernaut in not only in the Allen Cup but also in uh, in that United League. And then I can tell you this, like so. Then Winnipeg, so excuse me. So the Ottawa Senators uh, became a franchise in the National Hockey League. Well, Fergie was part of that group, right? So Fergie was part of the group. So he said to Cookie, you're going to be the Thunder Bay Senators and you're going to be our second affiliation. Uh, the Charlottetown Islanders became the American Hockey League team. So that was my first really gig at going, my God, this is... And I think it was Saxton was the, the owner, if I can remember. Do you remember, remember, that, remember that name? Anyway, you have to, you'd have to Google it or... So are you still playing at this time, or you're strictly coaching? This is coaching now, but I still kind of, I still went out in the ice and everything and played <laughs> around. I mean, Mac asked me, if, you know, a couple of times if I, you know, I had to go out and do some dirty work or whatever. I'd do it absolutely, you know. And uh, you know that that the guy that I, I always had to usually fight was that Jacques Malat, and uh, but you know like because of the, you know the French, uh, you know we. We could get under skin because we call him Jack. Hey Jack, hey Jack, and he just flip a lid. The name is Jack. 
my name is Jack, Jack Malat. And he was a stud. And um, like we used to, like it didn't matter after the game, we'd go to the same bar. Well, he would come in with a fur coat and he had two hookers on his, on his both arms one night. And I was so mad at him one night. He was like, I, he, he was acting up. So I was going to fight him. I was going to fight him right in the bar. And we've had some good tilts in even, you know, off ice in the bar. But the, the guys kind of, it, it, was, it was getting goofy because I was ready with my bottle. And I don't know if you know that story. But anyway, it, was a, <laughs> it wasn't a very good story. It's just uh, one of those things that happened. But, I, but all honesty, like, Sean, what had happened is, you know, we became the Thunder Bay Senators. Um, we moved to day practices very difficult now for me to get off get off work billy mack ended up being the, you know being the head being the head coach and but uh, man there's some great stories when i was uh, his assistant and he a few times had to work because he couldn't get off so i had the team down in down in the states and i'm you know i'm a young guy and man we had a lot of fun and one very good story was well, like brian wells was a pretty good player and his brother was the assistant coach in the Western Hockey League for the Brandon Wheat Kings because they're from Brandon, and his dad's like, they're actually from Re- Regina. And Wellesley got cut from Team Canada, like World Juniors at that particular time, and he was a tough guy, but he played for the Pats, and so we, we ended up getting him, uh, and he was a, he was a kook kook show, but I loved him, like, and I trained with those guys. We used to do step ups in the dressing room. That was our fitness. Like I would go at night. And Billy Mack would say, stay on and stay with these guys. You do some fitness. So I do push-ups. You know in the dressing room, like, you know the stall. Like, we had no stalls. It was just a bench. So we'd do step-ups. So we'd do step-ups, jump up and down. And we would try to get ourselves in a better shape. Cam Plant played on that team. Um, still, I, I want to say he's still the all-time leading assist uh, a defenseman for the Western Hockey League, 118, because he played with Ray Ferrero at that particular oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Cam was in Europe, came over, uh, Cookie signed him. Man, we had a good team. We, we ended up winning that year. And, you know, my, my, I, we're, we're still friends to this day. Cam, he had two boys that got drafted in the National Hockey League. And, uh, but uh, Wellesley, anyway, I remember we were in Detroit. They played in the Detroit Falcons. And uh, this is the, 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 the facility that, that they, they played out of was where the Detroit Red Wings used to practice all the time. So we used to kind of, you know, go in the side door and they would proxy and you get to see Probert and Kosher and Iserman and all those guys that you know that that played they're your idols they eh? like your guys you see on tv or they oh my god so you know we thought we were the shit you know because we were we we're we're playing you know hey you're look playing at, pro look at us you know so anyway it was good and so when uh we it was there a scrum or something in front of our bench and then this guy started yelling and i mean just like going off like and he was rushing and uh, referees are looking, and this guy's holding his hand, and he's holding his arm. We thought, oh, maybe separate his shoulder or something like that. And Wellesley comes over, he goes, he won't be doing that anymore. And we go, what do you mean? I just bit his finger off, and he spit it right into our, <laughs> right into our bench. And he's got the tip of the guy's finger in his mouth, and he spit it off. Ten-game suspension for that one, but no big deal. What do you think they'd give him now for that? Well, that's... Lifetime yeah. ban? Oh, yeah. Well, you, if you Google his name or if you look at him, like he was suspended the most, but um, there's a really good video on him when he took a stick, like to like he just started tomahawking everybody in the bench on the opposite, opposition. Everybody just hit the deck. The coaches hit the deck. Everybody just kind of, whoa, look out. 
I, they, um, like Billy Mack, like, excuse me, they claim the fame, like in that, Bruce Brudel, Brucey Brudel play, uh, coached Muskegon. And Billy and Mack and him were going to go at it uh, under the tunnel the one time. Oh, my God, it was, it was the best. It, it was like this, those are stories that you can, you don't make those up. Like, yeah. that's a true story. Like, those guys were, you know, were so intense and our games were so, so, so intense. And yeah, we had some really good hockey. There were some really good hockey players. Because, you know, we were the third affiliates. We had a lot of good young guys that, that played and our goaltending was always, always great. And, and uh, but because of the fact that they moved everything to the daytime, I couldn't do it. So I ended up going back to the junior. I went to start to sniff around the junior team again. And then, and that's kind of how that really, that, that, that type of coaching started, you know, with Billy Mack being the assistant there. And then, and then uh, going with Dave Siciliano and being kind of the video guy and then starting hanging around with them. And then actually I got the uh, head coaching job midway through that season in 95 with the Flyers. And then we ended up winning the Dudley Hewitt Cup that year and uh, losing out to Calgary Canucks in the, uh, in the Royal Bank Cup. It was in Gloucester, Ottawa. The, the, the Centennial Cup at that time it was called, right? Not the Royal Bank Cup. It was still called the Centennial Cup. So in 95... Like I left, uh, I left the, the you know the Senators, and then the Senators actually folded, and it became the Thundercats, Thunderbe Thundercats. So the pro team lasted, I think, six years, seven years, and won four or five championships there. And then I went to the junior team, and then, and then uh, just kept you know just just hung out there for two years, and then next thing you know, you, I got a call. Yeah, and you just kind of glaze over, but you ended up going to a Royal Bank Cup or Centennial Cup. Yeah. So yeah. you just walked on a team and you guys were that good? We had a good team. Like at that particular time, we were in the USHL, correct? Like Thunder Bay was in the USHL. Okay. So like we would have, I would I would say no more, no less than eight scholarships, 10 scholarships to all the D1 schools like Miami of Ohio, like oh, yeah, we had wow. Minnesota, yeah. Duluth, like at North Dakota. Like we had the Hoogstein brothers. They both played for, you know, Ryan Brindley played, uh, Shooty played, uh, uh, Todd Jones played. All these kids that played, uh, Bragnello played, all D1 schools. And I had, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in, in the right place in the right time. And, man, we had a lot of fun. Uh, Cup. Uh, and with some really good, some really good players that, uh, you know, that uh, that ended up winning. We, we won, you know, we ended up winning the so, league. And then we, we played, so what happens is you play in the USHL, we lost to Sioux City, and then we still got to compete for the uh, for the Canadian national team. So they would have the Dudley Hewitt Cup, as you all uh, as you so, yeah, 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 yeah. When the Dudley Hewitt Cup, for people who don't know, is the Ontario Championship. To see you win that, you move on to the, the national championship. Yeah, like, like our... You know, it's it's, it's like our Anavet Cup. Yeah, that's but right. But there's more yeah. than there's more than two teams, because of, you know it's it used to be well Quebec had a team right. Yeah. Uh, Central Central Ontario Ontario Northern Ontario, and then Thunder Bay, and then you'd get the East. The East would play the Central, like Pembroke usually always went ended up winning out, and they would come. And they would they would they would come to the. And sorry, you may have said it. Where was the Centennial Cup that year you won? Uh, Gloucester in Ottawa. In Ottawa. Yeah, right next to Hull, Quebec. So, (laughs) (laughs) we had some fun there, to say the least. 
<laughs> well, you know what I mean, eh? It's uh, it was some some really good uh, some really good hockey, and like I said, I'm just you know just very fortunate. There's guys there that uh, that helped me along the way, and I, I could never do it without. And I'll never forget them for the rest of my life. Cause yeah. they're, so '95, you're in. You go to Centennial Cup. Yep. And then '96, you're out in Flintflon. Yep. I you know what I no. love about Flintflon is they didn't win Game Seven. But if you haven't seen the video of, uh, you can go on Twitter. I retweeted it, I think, or I talked about it. Because they have a, a video of them leaving Flin Flon where all the fans are parked all alongside the highway going for Game 7. This is round two? Yep. Right? Like yep, Game playing, 7. They're going to Battleford, yep. And the, the fans are just going nuts. What was coaching that like? Again, it's... Uh... You you walk in that rink and you just know that you're you're in a hockey rink, and you look at the pictures and you're reminded right away where you're coming from. And everybody asked me, I know this this one fellow. His name is Beastie. That was his guy right out. That was his name. He was a rink guy. And uh, first thing he asked me was, "Who's my tough guy?" And, you know, Flynn Flan is you know notoriously known for yeah for you know some pretty tough teams and Patty Janelle coached that team so um I didn't really realize it I mean I knew I knew about it in 90 uh, you know 90, 96 I went there in November and uh Blaine Sautner uh was already there like Blaine is you know from Flaxcombe and that's another good story too because Ashton's his son I train Ashton now so we Blaine and myself and and his wife Kim uh, you know we go a long way like uh, she taught she taught uh, a school there. Blaine was my assistant coach, and he also was a teacher there. And man, oh man! And Harlan and Fran—that's uh, that's that's their parent. You know, that's um, um, you know, that's uh, Ashton's grandma, and, yeah. and they're just just great people. So it's so funny how that works. Now I'm training them here in Hardcore Fitness in in Kindersley, and <laughs> yeah, you know, he's in the National <laughs> Hockey League, and here I am again, like just you know. I don't have any any you know I don't have three letters behind my name I don't have anything behind my name I just use common sense and just let's go to town here let's work hard and I got some good exercises and uh, I you know you talk to those guys from the you talk to uh, um, a few of the few of the uh, fitness guys in 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 Vancouver and next thing you know like Roger Takahoski you know. I'm emailing him. We're talking back and forth. He's giving me programs, giving me ideas, and next thing you know, like, you know, it, it's just so weird how it works, right? And yeah. they trust me with them, and I'm just again very fortunate to be involved in that. And uh, but Flinflon really kind of helped me. That was kind of the stepping stone. And you want to know about the history? Well, in uh, in '57 they won a Memorial Cup. So in 2007, they had a 50-year anniversary. anniversary, and that is where it all hit right there because they had, that rink was, well, I would have to say there's 2,500 people, maybe more at this dinner. And um, at that particular time, like, um, or sorry, 97, excuse me, not, not, not 2007. So 97, they had this, um, they had, they had that event, and then Jerry Hart, Bobby Clark, uh, all those guys came back. Teddy Hampson. Right, because Bobby Clark 
played for the Flom Flom Bombers once yep. upon a time. Yeah, I got some great pictures of myself and Bob in, in a dressing room smoking a cigar, Jerry Hart. Jerry Hart was another man that, uh, and Cal Hammond were two gentlemen. Like, Cal was kind of, like, he was the, he was the goofball. He was with the, like, he was the goalie that back then for, for that team, for Clark, Clark's team. And uh, him and Heather uh, really helped me out, uh, you know, got me settled at that particular time. I, you know, I, um, you know, it was, it was, it was some good, really good times with, with those people. And they've, they've, you know, we've kept in touch ever since. And Jerry's let me stay at his cabin with my kids there. And, you know, it's just a beautiful setting in the yeah. summertime. But all that's all because of all because of Flint Flon and what you do. And I realized how much history and, and tradition there was. And of course me, I, I'll just chew that up and I'm not going to let that go. And we've had some good, uh, some good stories about that coming home from a, if we lost four games or whatever, I would, I would line the guys up and um, we'd get off the bus and we're gonna have a little bag skate before they go home to their billets, which they probably can never do anymore. But and every time they stopped, they had to face the the uh, the uh, retired sweaters because, in my opinion, we 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 didn't live up to our standard. You know, we were we we embarrassed the the, the bomber jersey. And whether you, whether you say it's right or wrong, a lot of guys probably didn't like that. But I think today still they'll tell you that story. And it wasn't, it really wasn't about the punishment. It was about the history and how important it is to wear a bomber jersey. So I probably did it the wrong way. But at that particular time, I thought it was the right way. So, I, I mean, you live and die by the sword, right? And that's just the way it goes. And Talking about... Uh tradition and history what's the story behind the moose leg well like the moose leg came out i like i can't remember what year it was but it was part of that um every time you win a game someone would throw the big moose leg on the ice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um so we would go we would take that moose leg and put it in the center ice and then we would salute the fans right tap okay. tap the sticks three yeah. times and and that's something I always thought that was important. Um, we did it in Thunder Bay, and I wanted to bring it in Flin Flon too. And I don't know if they did it prior or not. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I know that that stuck. That you know, and everybody does it now, right? But uh, that was one of the things that we did that a lot of teams uh, didn't like because we, you know, we would. They thought it was you know we were you know, we we're bugging them and probably our guys were chirping them. Obviously it's hockey, right? Like, but we were saluting our fans and we appreciated that moose leg. So as you were well aware, I think it was a couple of years ago, someone from Weyburn. I, I saw that Weyburn it took was, it and it was a rodeo. It was ugly. It was ugly. You just YouTube that. Yeah. YouTube yeah. the video of uh, Weyburn trying to get off the ice with moose leg. Yeah. And that, that doesn't, that doesn't work. So, I mean, you, you, you understand that history, and, and I, I always remember that we, there were some tough, tough, tough games. Like I remember Bob B. came up there on with Humboldt, and it was really cold that weekend, and we beat him and whatever, and Bob, their players were acting goofy or whatever. And so Bob goes out to the bus, and they're not moving. Why not? Well, the fans painted, painted spray-painted the, the windshield black spray paint of black can't get it off can't drive you're staying overnight boys <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff that went on like that a lot of gamesmanship yeah 
that were, uh, you know, that was home ice advantage. And I, we had a couple of kids from um, Fort St. John, and um, uh, there was a sign up in, on, in the rafters, welcome to the zoo, don't feed the animals. Wayne, Wayne Cartouche at that time was a president, he didn't, didn't really appreciate that, but we weren't taking that down because it was a big sign. Yeah. It was it was like, and we were tough. And Nathan Waberski, and he, at that particular time, you know, three sixteen, you know, Steve Austin. Well, yeah. it was three sixteen Waberski. And uh, man, oh man, we had some, we had some good teams in in those in those years. And the year that we hosted the Royal Bank Cup, um, that would was, have been two thousand one. Yeah, correct? two thousand. Yeah, two thousand two thousand one. We, we had we had a hell of a team. You know, we Nip one beat us in the. In the semifinals, they upset us. Actually, they had a good team too. We we just didn't play up to our to our standards, but we had some really good players. And Todd Horning played 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 for us. And uh, I told Danielle the other day that Todd Horning, um, like th- I didn't want to say he was the third round pick of the Washington Capitals, uh, won a Memorial Cup in Portland with uh, Hosa, and we we had him for the Royal Bank Cup. First twenty-year-old year, he, oh, wow. he he was a horse. He was a stud, fight everything, and uh, so this year um, we listed his his boy, and now he's he's skating with us there in Kindersley. And oh, really? So that's how how far that this has come. Like it's <laughs> so Todd Horning uh, one time, and now now his son. Now his son. Now he's skating with us. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. It really is. It's uh, something that uh, I would never. Yeah. Man, that town must have been on fire, like a buzz with uh, when the Royal Bank, the national championship, goes to Flin Flon, which is what a town of five thousand, five thousand people, five thousand mining community, Hudson Bay mining yeah. smelting, right? Like yeah. it's surrounding area. You probably have eight because there's Snow Lake, and yeah. but there's you know like you're six hours from Saskatoon, four to that's, P. That's unreal. Four to PA, so you are isolated up there, and you have to be, have a special. You need a special breed of you know, to, of, of a player to, to go up there. And it was good. We, we, a lot of these guys, like, you know, they have, have married guys, you know, like actually Todd married a girl from, from, uh, from Flim Flon too. Flim Flon. Yeah. So there, it, it does, it does show you that, you know, there is, there is a lot of connections there and it, it's just, it goes back to your roots, how much history. And, and Mike Reagan, who I coached for four years, they're still coaching there. All right. So I coached Mike for four he ended up going to Sacred Heart for a full year, full full scholarship, and uh, he always lets me in the room uh, when we go up there. And he's done a magnificent job of keeping that tradition going, and you know, just their dress room, and, and just to go back when we had that two two thousand seven, uh, our um, uh, what had happened was we were planning on doing a, a refurbish of the room, and so the the alumni actually, I can't remember how much money we raised, but. We raised enough to build a new a new dressing room. Okay. So that was the cool part of it, and of course, then we got a chance to host the the Royal Bank Cup, Royal and that, Cup. that and you know we we beat Weyburn in in game five and in in the semifinals four nothing, and uh, uh, we were playing Camrose the next the next day, and uh, I remember, uh, um, you know Mac, you know Dwight McMillan, there's no way he was gonna you know. He, he wasn't leaving the ice without trying to stir the pot or getting us suspended. And, and I'm yelling, I guess, you can't fight, you know, and we're getting mauled and we're getting slashed and cross-checked. And it's, 
everything we can not to retaliate back. And the referees were doing a good job, and they actually, you know, they they tossed a few guys out, and they finally tossed Mac out. So true story. So Mac goes off the ice, and he's walking off the ice, and he salutes the fan with both his fingers. Some guy throws a full coke can, nails him in the head, and knocks him down. Knocked old Mac down on the ice to one knee. It was uh, it was amazing. And the fans, uh, like, that was the loudest I've ever heard the Whitney Farm at that particular time. It was 2,300 people there. Yeah. It was loud. And, uh, like, the game was on TSN, da-da-da-da-da, and we had to, we got there about, I want to say 11 o'clock or something like that. I think the game was one because he had to, you know, TV stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh it was very similar to what you just said. Like, you know, the fans would line up. That, there was about a thousand fans there. And the, 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 the best part about it, they used to have a, the beer garden, it was called the bomb shelter. <laughs> <laughs> Full. Like, Fantastic name. It was un- unbelievable. So we had like 2,300 there and another, you know, another eight 900 inside that kerning club in the bomb, sh- bomb shelter and the TV was set up. It was unbelievable. So when you walk down that path to your dressing room, you can just hear, you could hear the fans go, bombers, go, go, bombers, go, and the horns and everything. And that was like two hours before the game, and it was just so electric. Eh? And unfortunately, you know, we, we lost uh, to Camrose, and they had a good team that year, too. And it was a, we had some really good chances in the first period, and we didn't bury, and that was the difference, and they ended up beating us. So, a great experience, and uh, I would never, ever. You know, give up a day from of of that for sure, because it, it again it made me a better not only made me a better coach, made me a better person for sure. Yeah. All right, we took a quick little break there to catch our wind, but we're back now. <laughs> <laughs> Your ninth beer. That's right. We uh, we didn't want to crack them on there, so um, respect, we left. Respect. That's, that's right. Exactly. So you're learning here. That's right. We left off at the Flim Flam Bombers, but while we were off air, I had to show Larry. So the two years, we're going to hop to when I was playing for Larry out in Dryden. We, we were just looking at, uh, it was my first season playing for Larry. We're in, we're in uh, Fort Francis playing uh, Borderland Thunder, and I just pulled up on YouTube. There's still footage of it. It's pretty poor, but you get the picture. We had a bench-clearing brawl. And uh, I was talking about with Chong on the way um, here, and he his favorite memory is you tomahawk and a stick at Dave Allison in the other bench, right? And if you watch the video, it's just it is absolute mayhem. There's 20 guys fighting 20 guys. The coaches are fighting. The trainers are fighting. Heck, the fans are coming out. Like it, it's absolute mayhem. Well, yeah, Jamie Davis's dad actually came on the ice trying to protect his kid there. That was kind of ugly. And, and I think Dave to this day still thinks it's our fault. But you know, if you if you really look at the the video, um, we didn't have the last change. He puts his his slugs out there, and I knew right away, oh boy, we're we're gonna we're gonna be in trouble here. So that's when I turned and <clears throat> after it all started, and I just kind of harpooned that stick at him, and then. <laughs> but it was far enough away, like you know, the benches weren't right next to each other. It was a, it was a pretty good toss, and then he came over. And, started you know started chirping me or whatever and he got close enough and then we went at her and then the fireworks kicked off yeah and i thought i like i know that uh, you know you know hot carl as we call him like he <laughs> he got a couple of good shots in and i know i got a couple of good shots in him because the next game when it was all said and done 
no no matter which way you look at it and i tell the story all, all the time like <clears throat> like i don't know f- five six real good shots on allison and then what had happened was um like he was a big guy like you remember he was in a national hockey league like he played like oh, he yeah. played in him a lot yeah. many years and he you know he was <laughs> heck he had a little stint with the senators you know, and that's the kind of the path. You remember, like, we were talking about the Thunder Bay Sanders. Well, guess what? You know, so he was he was part of that group. Anyway, he was a bigger guy there, and we kind of <clears> – <throat> I was in between the boards and the bench, and we just kind of toppled over, and he toppled on top of me. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, boy. And he was just leaking, and he goes, I'm going to fucking kill you. And uh, so – I have a straight arm, my left arm's out, and I'm just, I'm hoping he's trying to punch me, and I'm holding him back, and he's just leaking all over me, like there's blood coming off his, off his nose. Cause I think we, either myself or Kevil, busted his nose up, <laughs> and uh, he won't admit this, of course. You know, Dave will always say, oh, "I beat the shit out of you," but he didn't. The only way he beat me was he took after that, he took the the the, the medical kit, which was metal and hit me in the head with it a couple of times. And then, thank God, Spinner came down from the stands, and he and probably the third time he was gonna hit me, Dell grabbed, grabbed it from him, and and that was it, and he got off of me. But man, that was, uh, I've never, I've never uh, had fear like that before. Like, I, I took, it took everything for me to hold him off, because I was on the bottom, and he, was, and he had to have been about 240, 250. And one thing about Dave too, he was always a character guy. Like he was a character guy, no doubt. Like I, we always got along. Like he'd always invite me to his room and have a shot of whiskey before the game. Like it was kind of like you know, Jerry James and and Dwight McMillan before games would you know line 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 things up before the game would start between Weyburn and Esteban, right? Always, or they'd have a shot of whiskey and say, okay, well, you know, who's starting here? It was very similar to that, but. Uh, it was ugly. I mean, let's put it. Let's let's be. You know, like I. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't the greatest thing, but it sure did. I think it really, you know, bonded our team together. And whether we win or lose, it it was something that we stuck up for each other, and uh, stuck up. We we weren't embarrassed. That's for sure. No, we had the toughest coach in the bloody league, <laughs> right? Like. <laughs> I don't know about that, but. I I saw it firsthand. Like that was um, that is a story I will never forget. And we had Dryden had their alumni game uh, uh, when they hosted the Dudley Hewitt here this past uh, year, and and I got sitting around with a couple of guys that were part of that game. And uh, it's almost like surreal to talk about it, right? Like you did what? Okay, sure, yeah, whatever. But then you pull up the old footage of the YouTube video of it. Right, and you want something to look at. It isn't great quality, but search Fort Francis or Borderland Thunder Brawl with Dryden Ice Dogs, something along that lines, or Fort Francis Brawl with Dryden Ice Dogs, and you'll see it. It is like straight out of some movie from the, like, it's pretty much Slapshot, right? Like, that's that's what it was. And uh, that happened early 2000s. Like, it was... <laughs> we got. I think we got two games for that. <laughs> <laughs> so not bad and i remember when because we, we went back we had to play the next night right in yeah in dryden and uh so we were both suspended 
and Dave walked in with sunglasses and a hat on, you know, yeah, it was pretty funny. So, and I just, I was the same guy. I just had a, a, a welt in the back, like on the, on the top of my head. Cause from the, I think I got about four or five, I want to say. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, Larry. When I tell the best part about the entire story is getting back on the bus, <laughs> right? We get back on the bus, and all of us are sheep. We've just been through a bench-clearing brawl. We're sitting there going like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's about to happen. And Larry gets on. He's bleeding from everywhere. He's got a nice pack on his head. And he goes, boys, that's old-time hockey. And he's all like, jacked up and he's just like pumped and we're all like all right yeah yeah right like i think we beat him the next game to be completely honest yeah we did beat him the next game then we lost the last game but yeah it was uh like i said those are those are things how can you get anybody heck for that like we stuck together and that's what Mm. any coach would want that for their player and you know it's out of it's out of fear too right for a lot of those young guys that you know like you know davis like he he took a beat you know he's not no fighter that's for sure and then of course they're tough guys beating on him like he's, you know. So, you know, we, we it's 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 one of those things that happen, and it's a uh, it another you know another great story, another another great memory that you know, we've created through uh, <laughs> through the greatest game in the <laughs> in the world. Oh God, I gotta I should probably go back and uh, bring up the O2 uh, Dry Nice Dogs when you guys win, because I know there will be a few guys who played on that team that are listening. And they that was the video I saw the entire time I was there because we uh, didn't end up winning it. We we did get to a Dudley Hewitt, but the team that came before us, you came in partway through that season, correct? Yeah, I was just telling uh, Danielle that they, they phoned like Daryl called me I think around on January the twenty eighth, and I was still I was still in Flin Flon, and actually it was the funny story is I was uh, I was substitute teaching. You were substitute teacher. <laughs> <laughs> at the at the public school and I was a phys ed teacher because I don't know what happened to the phys ed teacher too much stress or something so I went in there and I was their I was their teacher so I thought that was the greatest thing on earth because um, uh, Dan Reagan was uh, was the superintendent of the school division and uh, they didn't have anybody to you know to take take over so why not Larry like really like you know, he's a coach. He knows his. You know, so I loved it. And the, the best part about it is my my kids were still there, right? So Devin was still. I want to say Devin was in grade one, maybe at that particular time. But I remember all his friends just they clinged on my leg, and you know they just loved me to death. They eh? was funny, like oh Larry's go, oh my God, and then Veronica's class, and then of course Walker's class was there, and all the boys. They we just play football and hockey and. It was kind of a gong show, but we just had fun, and we just, you know, the kids when they finished phys ed, they were just leaking, sweating. So, true story, and that again, it tells you something that they, you know, they trusted me to do something like that, and I really enjoyed it, and I became, uh, you know, when you coach, sometimes they don't, people don't know you until you live in that community, and I've never ever ran away from some, something that. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've, I've been fired, I want, well, I've been fired five times, but four times from, from junior A, and for one reason or the other. But I always stuck around the community. I always, you know, was part of the part of the community. I never ran away, and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to hide or scared. I, you know, I needed to fend for my family, so 
had to get a job, you know, I had to find a job. And so I drove the shit truck, <coughs> true story, out in, uh, out in, uh, out in Flin Flon. The guy gave me an opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to work there. And then I worked at the school division. And I also worked at the rink. They gave me a job at the rink. So I also worked at the rink driving the Zamboni. And, uh, and then that's when Dryden called me there in February. The, actually, it was, it was January 28th. Daryl called me. And then February 1st, I went out there. And I didn't know what the hell I was getting into, but I came in there and we ended up winning the first game and then, and uh, or maybe we lost the first game and then we ended up winning 14 in a row after that. It was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable run. We ran through the playoffs. We didn't lose. We won four straight, four straight, and went to the Dudley Hewitt Cup. And uh, we won the Bill, Bill Salonen Cup at that particular time, it was called. And he was a fine gentleman in Dryden that the, the cup was named after and uh, um, it was uh, I remember the game winning goal it was unbelievable we beat, we beat Fort Francis and it was oh man it was it was bedlam in that rink I still have the video for it and it was you know Mike Ebling, uh did the uh, did the broadcasting and uh, tremendous job and he still does it does a great job out there yeah, you he know. Does, yeah. he's unbelievable and uh, he's a he's a good man and uh, yeah, so yeah, with that, that was uh, that was another another good story that we created, and we went to the Dudley Hewitt and lost to Rayside Belfour, who was a lot of had a lot of OHL guys over age. Yeah. I think at that particular time you could have ten. Well, I think it was unlimited twenty year olds, and I want to say they had sixteen or seventeen twenty year olds in their team. Holy and, crap! But if you can remember going to Dryden, like the budget was very limited. Like we would tape our we would tape our socks with electrical tape or we did whatever it took. We we didn't we didn't care. Like we were, you know. I made sure that the guys knew that they were worth something. But we're underdogs, and it's good to be an underdog and to yeah to go into that type of game. I tell the no young pressure. guys. I remember it's maybe one of the few places that I had not unlimited sticks I could break because that isn't exactly true. But it was wood sticks, so you had to do something to break your stick, right? <laughs> so it was pretty much unlimited sticks, but. By the midpoint of the season, all the good curves that everybody wanted had been taken. So all that you were left with were them frigging Crosby curves that nobody wanted, except for Odd Bill or something, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I can put it over the glass. It's like, makes no sense. So we'd have to take the heat gun, stick it under the door, and try and make something out of that thing. And young guys don't even understand that anymore. Yeah. And there'd be Larry sitting there at his little little desk. What do you need? Uh, I need a stick, Larry. Oh, yeah, what'd you do with your last one? Um, I broke it. I didn't see you break it. You sure you broke it? And it was like you were under question, lock and key, and there was a hundred wood sticks just sitting there, and you had to make sure, and then Larry give you one. Okay, don't break that. We got we got like four more months to play here. We need that stick to last. Okay, Larry, yep, we'll make her last. Yeah, I mean, we'd, it was a shoestring um, budget, oh, but... but we had we had we had some really good people in that community that there's would, still really good people yeah in that you know community. what I mean that would go like would throw money in just because yeah you know and I know that you know the Zatchery's did a lot of a lot of uh, legwork there for for us and you know is this one of those things again that you if you treat people right and if you work hard yeah they see that and they'll 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 help you out and they helped us out a lot. And uh, I know Spinner did a lot for us, you know, 
throughout that year and you know getting us stuff and <laughs> we was unbelievable like we we were kind of shysters but we had <laughs> we had and it, you know it is it's true like you're coming from the sj you got all the connections anyway so you might all you, you might all you might as well utilize them all and try to get you know try to get the best but our dressing room as you can you know a lot of people you know a lot of kids would never would never go to dryden uh, just because of a dress room but it's not all all because of that right it's 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 the it's the guys that you get, and when I, I can go down and list the names, but geez, we had some character kids there that worked hard. We had ten Saskatchewan kids, a couple of Alberta kids. Remember that kid Chevy? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know Wachonger from BC and uh, Cowboy and from Calgary. I think it was I think it was, I think it was right from Calgary. We got him, but just do your homework, and a lot of those kids were you know weren't wanted in another area and then that, well that's what we all kind of called ourselves we yeah. pretty much the misfits the the yeah well for sure the second year but uh even in the first year right we were a bunch of guys that had got kicked around from every league and wound up and were larry's misfits and we put together well our first year we like i think we were saying i think we were 23 and 23 somewhere around there lost first round it was the second year that we made the dudley hewitt um and we had a heck of a year that year we were really good I mean, it ended up being Fort Francis, who or not Fort Francis, uh, Fort William North Stars, Thunder Bay. There, they were. <laughs> uh, I just, I just remember we we're we we're playing the North Stars in a game. I think it was before Christmas, and we were a tough team. That was like that was. Fort William was a tough team. We were a tough team, and we sent out. We had a line brawl, and it was a shift after that. We had another three guys go at it, and you're leaning over the bench looking at. Uh, Howie. Howie. Going, keep sending them. We got guys that want to go. Keep sending them, right? And Howie, I, maybe the only time I saw Howie kind of look a little like, uh, I don't know if I got any more guys to go because we'd had eight of our, we had eight tough, like we had a tough team that year. Some guys that could really chuck the knocks and there were some good, and there were heavyweight fights at that time. Oh, man, those are those are good days. I'm hoping Dryden will do another alumni game here at some point because getting back there and just visiting those people and being back in the town and I never had the opportunity to win there, but uh, you know, spent three years of my life there. There's a there's a lot there, and it was a lot of fun and a lot of good memories. Yeah, well, when you especially your billets, you know, your they take you in as a as your own, you know, their own son and and and. You know that's that's where you grow as a as a person and as a young man. And we've always said that like you're you know we're gonna we're gonna take your you're gonna take your boy and we're gonna make him a man. You know, so usually three years it it does make a difference for sure in your life. And and these stories are great. Like who would ever think you'd have a podcast here and you'd even have me on here? You know what I mean? It's it's something special. And you know that you <clears throat> when I I remember when we we uh, we we thought you were available, so we 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 made some calls, and he said, "Yeah, you you know, take a chance." And we need a guy. We need a guy that can you know on the back end, and he's a little smaller guy, but he's feisty and he's he works hard, and he's you know he's a he's a he's a good he's a good SAS kid. So of course you know, with the roots that I you know that that you know that SAS kids are are good hardworking kids that uh, we took a chance on you and you. 
we met you at the, at the old Husky there and got you set up and had a little bite to eat and then the rest is history really because you know like you've made some good friends throughout the course of uh, time you've kept in touch of them and I don't even remember how I, I can honestly say some of the players that I got I don't remember how I made the trades or whatever how that worked but even Ricey and those those other kids that we that we picked up was yeah we had AJ Royce out of Connecticut I can't yeah. remember how like <clears throat> he told me I remember like I can remember sitting there and him telling me but now I can't remember uh, how it came that he came there but he came from Summer, Somerset Connecticut I believe yeah. right and, but I had some connections in Saskatoon and that was my old my um, my old uh, my old scout. And we got some kids out of that area and then ended up uh, Ronnie Rumble quick gave me a call. I talked to him one day and he goes, he had a defenseman or local kid, Dale Logo, and we picked him up. And so again, you know, there were some good, good kids there that never really got a chance to play there and they found a home in Dryden. And I think that's important. And, you know, we created our own memories and we created a pretty good, a pretty good hockey team there that not too many teams wanted to tangle with us. So I was looking at the penalty minutes earlier. They're like, I think Breer had like 380. <laughs> we had Luke Levesque. Luke I Levesque. forgot about Breer. <laughs> yeah, we had Luke, Leve- <laughs> Luke Levesque and Lucky Luke and, you know, and uh, Liam Walker, actually, you know. Yeah, and uh, Liam Te- Walker, yeah. Tesher and uh, Mac, like out of Flin Flon, right? Yeah, Flin Ryan Flon, McKinnon. Great. Ryan McKinnon was a good, was a good guy and... So, yeah, there was some good Real Assier, remember him? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Real was a, was, a, was a foot soldier for us. And Quinn sure. McIntosh. Quinn McIntosh. You converted to Scotty a defenseman. Cl- Scotty Klein, Quinn McIntosh. Yeah, because he's a right-handed guy, yeah. smooth, smart, yeah. go at the puck. And I help. remember he was nervous to, to come back with me because he was my defense partner. You put yeah. him back with me, and he uh, – I'm. For the first little bit there, he was nervous, and I just kept laughing. I mean, he could skate so well, right? Like, yeah. When you can skate like that, all you got to do is keep your head up, move the puck, and you're fine. Yeah, no, he was, uh, like, everybody had a role. I'm not sure about, like, uh, the only other guy I remember, like, uh, Dustin Hildebrand. Where, Hildebrand. Yeah, where did he, where was he? I actually he? don't know where held he went. Yeah, so he was another guy that I remember. And, of course, Chevy he was a beauty. Didn't he stay at, he stayed at Shaggy's place, didn't he? <laughs> I can't remember. That's a long time ago. Yeah. I just remember. Yeah, I, the local boys were good. You know, yeah. like, we, you know, we had some good local boys, and it was pretty good. Like, we had, you know, B-Mac. We, and, we traded that year. We traded and somehow got Zatchery back in that. Yeah. And Zatch was, I always say, like, if, if he was in shape and wanted it, like, he was one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie I ever played with. Like, he was, he'd show glove. He'd leave this, like, to the best scorers in our league. He'd live this big, like, any, I could score there. And then he'd just throw out the mitt, like, on clockwork. It was so fast. Boom. Yeah. And then he'd just wave it in front of him, right? Nothing phased him. He was a feisty guy. He'd, he had some he had some showmanship, too. Yes, he sure. did. Yeah. yeah. He had some showmanship. But, again, like, you know, we, you, you reel the guys in and you, you get them to, to understand like you know you're not you're not here that's not the reason why you're here like you're here to you know to to be a good good teammate and I think he understood that he matured as a, as a player and as a person and you know all those kids will remember that you know it's just it's just part of the part of who you are and you start to mature as a, as a player and become a good a good team and that's a characteristic that you're looking for so. okay well we just hit an hour and a half 
So I got a couple of, yeah, I know. You're doing so well, though. I thought I'd ask you a couple quick fire ones because you've coached now, what did we say, 25 years? Something like that. And you've been around the game for a (laughs) a little longer than that. So what era did you enjoy the music in the dressing room the best? Probably the 90s. The Metallica, the ACDC. Yeah. Yeah. Not the techno stuff that's going on like right now? Like right now, it's... Like, I cringe at times. <laughs> like, I, I, like, how are you getting fired up for that? Like, it's just mundane, and it's just the same beat, and it's... Like, I don't mind, like, some dance music or whatever. Like, I'm... You know, because I run a gym. You know, you have a different... You know, you know, everybody's different, right? So different eras. The 6 o'clock class likes old rock. The 7 o'clock crew likes... You know, a little more hip hop. The other, the other, the other crew likes country. So, you get used to all the music all the time. But some of the stuff that you listen to now, like some of the guys in the room, like I, I, I purposely kind of go in there sometimes. If I'm gonna go take a leak or something. I'll just click it off or turn it down. Hey, what's going on? And so we have some guys that are like like old souls. So they'll throw the AC ACDC back on and some good Metallica or Rolling Stones or whatever. Like. Or you know, like even like some of the some of the stuff that we that you talk about, and they go, "Who? What? What are you talking about?" And then as soon as they hear it, they go, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool. That's good. I like that." So, yeah, probably the '90s. Okay, best fans you ever had. I'm a fan guy. I've always said that I yep. would rather <sighs> live in the cold but have crazy fans than be in San Jose and get to walk in the dressing room with shorts. Well, I. I I'd have to say like Flin Flon, Thunder Bay, Cuckoos. Yeah. And then I, when we had a run here in 08, man, we had a good crowd here. It was good. A lot of fun. And the difference here was they had this, like because of the Clippers, they had the air, um, you know, they, they had this plane. Every time we score a goal, this, like, this, like this dust crop or, or this, you know, would come down like a, a B-52 bomber, not a jet, but a like a bomber, right? Yeah. And then everybody would just kind of stand up and then do the an airplane, like with their hands out in the air, and they would tilt, you know, back and forth, and it was it was amazing, and it was good. It was packed, like we had some good runs, you know, and even even after the rink, like the rink, the other rink burnt down there, and then. Uh, we went to Eston, our, our fan base, like, you know, it was sold out there, and we were in the finals there too against Yorkton. And so there were some really good, really good times and really good fans here in, in Kindersley, and they're starting to come back, I want to say. And uh, they had a great, it was called the Peanut Gallery. Couldn't beat it. And as a visiting team, it was fun to come to, come to Kindersley because they had that peanut gallery. You knew something was going to happen. You knew it. it was a, <laughs> there was a fishing line with a chicken chicken coming out in the ice, and then you're trying to hit it, and or they're, they've got it up above the ice, and you're trying to whack it with your stick, and they'd be, they'd be teasing you and pulling it back. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Like, you know, and, it, and that's the character. That, that's the difference nowadays where, you know, a lot of people just sit on their hands. We still have, like, they've got the, you know, they still throw the moose leg on the ice, and, we throw the op, you know, they still have the octopus coming on the ice. Or here. that was going to be my next question. What's the qu- craziest thing you've seen thrown on the ice? I just went through a Sask Alta final here in senior. Uh, Hillmont played St. Wahlberg, and anytime it only happened right at the end. Anytime Wahlberg scored, they threw a 
a fish of some sort on yeah. the ice. And I guess it goes back to the old days. And so word of that got around Hillmond. So Hillmond started throwing out a, a frozen muskrat. And so there was a pro, the ref didn't want to pick it up. It kept this muskrat kept flying out on the ice every time we scored. And That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 squid or octopus here, and the crew, like the referees, kind of look at each other or the linesmen to go. And they don't want to touch well, it. Well, the youngest guy's got to go. I'm not touching you. Touch it. But sometimes you throw it on at the right time too, right? Because you need a timeout or something. So they they're smart, you know, because uh, you can't throw pennies out there anymore. I, uh, Kevin McCallum <laughs> told me a story about the pennies. Yeah, that was. Do one you of care the, to share some insight on the old? Well, it was all there was. I mean, I I've did it all my again. Like you, you learn from other people, right? You just and yeah. there was always money come flying out all the time, and that that created a you know like you needed a timeout or something. So there'd be always pennies or nickels or something flying. Kevin out. McCallum tells me the story. He says that you told, and you got to have pennies on you at all times. Oh yeah. Because if we run out of timeouts, and I need a timeout, you're gonna throw pennies on the on the ice, and I'm gonna turn around and yell at the fan and and scold them, right? So then they gotta come and pick up the pennies. And while they're picking up the pennies, we can have a quick little huddle and catch everybody's breath. Exactly. But Kevin says the only time he ever did it, he whipped him at a guy in the Fort William uh, in the gardens of Thunder Bay and hit this big six foot seven lineman right in the back, and he just walked over and said. Larry, I'll pick up the pennies. Stop yelling at the fans. It's okay. <laughs> well, he's got a good memory because I don't remember that, but that's that's probably a true story. He also mm-hmm. tells one of uh, of uh, you call a timeout when you're about to pull the goalie, and you always had to have a broken goalie stick on the on the bench. Yep. You care to share that one? Well, I always thought my the philosophy was you you carry you can you could take that goalie stick, <clears throat> and it's. You give the goalie the broken stick, and then when you pull them out, you just leave it. You just kind of drop it because it's a broken stick, right? But the goalies can play with a broken stick, as you know now. Like they can, yeah. right? Yep. But we used to, you know, if you wanted a timeout or something like that, they just give them a broken stick. But we, a lot of times we we get like we even tried with Zatch to 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 lay the stick right in the crease and then then leave the net, like just drop your stick and then come to come to the bench. So they got caught one of that, and that, you know that that those are rules that you always can that have been changed because of guys like like us that can you know that can manipulate that, and until they change it, well, hey, you know you, you're not trying if you're not cheating. <laughs> what era of player would you want to coach? Because now you're coaching the millennials, I believe they're called. Was there an, a group of kids? Because, I mean, you've seen it all the way since the, well, they wouldn't have been born in the 90s, but you were coaching in the 90s all the way through the 2000s, now into the, is there, is there a group? Well, the game, I always, yeah, I always I hear, and the reason I, I should preface it, I always hear now from coaches that the kids these days are tough to coach. And I don't know, hey, I haven't been through 20 years of coaching. Is there a difference? Did you enjoy coaching 15 years way more because – of different things, or are the kids all the same? Well, you have to change. I think that's the biggest part of it. You got you need to change. Like your, yeah, kids are different. Absolutely, they're different. I mean, how they're you know how they're raised is everything's different, and you know it's more. I don't know if it's an entitlement or not. That's what you know. That's what everybody says it is. I have no problem coaching these guys here today. Like I, 
I like I like this this group too, just as much as I like the other group. But because you're not able to do things, and the, and it's like I've told you before, the game is so micromanaged. It's sad, and and that's why you got a lot of fans that don't like the game anymore because it's just too micromanaged. Every rule, everything you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, like there's more. It's you know like, and I get it. You can't call the you know can't you know the ethnics and all that stuff that you got to respect that now and yeah. just before that didn't happen so whether or not you call a guy chief well that's you know that hurts somebody's feelings but when i played and when i coached that didn't really mean that that wasn't that was their nickname they they didn't think nothing of it that was part of who they are so somebody down the road didn't like that and can't call you know can't call your uh, you know player chief because he's uh you know he's an aboriginal from you know larange well uh, we always did that like that's that's part of who we are and no nobody complained about that you know it's uh it's changed in that direction so you got to really watch what you do on the ice and you can't you know you're not supposed to swear and so that part bothers me the player wise i still think i can get the best out of every player the same way it's different motivation now, different tactics, right, to use. And it's all about, you know, like, yeah, you never never give up, right? I, I don't know. There's no other way of saying it. You just got to keep pushing through it. You got to persevere, and you just got to battle. But the, 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 the kids that we coach, like in your era, and Ch- like when Chonger and those guys, that was fun. That was, that was a lot of fun because you could, you know, you could settle the score, the battles were battles. Nobody there, you know, it separated the men from the boys pretty well. And uh, a lot of the young, a lot of these young guys that don't have any nuts, you know, will dive. You know, the diving really kill, bothers me. The embellishment and referees buy into it. And that's not the way, that, to me, that's not the way the game should be played. And uh, we talked about Ted Lindsay. You've seen the picture in the room yeah. there. Like that was my dad's favorite. Pl- my dad's favorite player. And I, I told this at the banquet is that that was my dad's favorite player. And he always told me he said you know like one thing Ted Lindsay always said is you know he never cheats the game. Yeah. Never cheated the game. And my dad always told me he's like you know that's who that's what you know I want you to be like that. So you know I always remember that and. So guys like that that never cheated the game and played hard and was an honest player and you know you could you could live with that. But for the guys that are diving, how do you live with yourself like that? I, I don't I don't understand that and the you know the faking the injury and that bothers me. And I would, in all honesty, I'd probably call a guy out today for that because I don't think that's right. I think that the game has got a lot of integrity and if you're going to dis- disrespect that integrity of the game, it's like your name, right? Like. <clears throat> another another life lesson is never never embarrass the family name and if you're that's not your name you 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 got to earn that name you got to earn that name your your grandfather your father and the previous you know men that have that have uh you know established your your family name is important so those things I think are good values to, to teach kids nowadays that that when you start diving around, that's your name that you're and uh, that's that's not we don't do that in Kindersley here. And uh, the, all the players know that. 
I'm not into that stuff. And most guys, most no, most guys know. And if they do it, I might pull them aside and whisper at them. Or maybe ten years ago, I would have just blurted it out in the room. But now you, you know, you you do it the right way and the way that is it's important. But that's wrong, in my opinion. So the kids that have that have, that have played for me understand that and. We've, I've had a lot of good players that come through. I have some players that didn't like me, but it, it, they, I don't think they ever understand that. I cared. I always cared about all the players. I loved all my players. I might have been a hard ass on a lot of them, and I might have did some. I might have said some things that hurt their feelings, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a personal attack. Yeah. It was to try to get them better, and that was you know. So I've learned. A lot in that aspect of it, and I think I've become a better coach, and that's why I think I'm still involved in the game because of that. Because otherwise, if I, you know, if I didn't, then you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna survive in this era, right? So, those those players are, um, you know, are have to be shown respect to, and when they are that, and when you show them something, they'll they'll respond by giving them a hundred percent, and that's what you want of a player. You want you want their best. Mediocrity, not good enough here. Well, it's been a real treat to have you on. I, <laughs> the thing is, I wrote down probably like fifteen stories, and I got to apologize to half the guys that gave them to me because would have loved to have shared them all. But there's just so much. I I think what I would like to do is I just probably like to have you on again because it's been a real treat for me to come here down in Kinnersley tonight and sit across from you and do this once has been a real honor and um just getting to sit and chat again and see you again larry it's been a real joy of mine and um i think what i'll have to do is just line you up again here in the future and and try and get into some of the stories of <laughs> punctuality and uh, you know dressing the proper way there's some funny stories there that uh just teaching young kids uh what the right way to present yourself and be on time and accountability and all that 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 goes in there but we could probably be here for another three hours uh going down that road and i think it'd be uh maybe just healthy to do that at a different time and uh i just really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to sit here with me it's been a real pleasure yeah i know i appreciate everything and like i said i think that uh you've got a good thing going here sean and um you know, you're you're uh, you're a proud man. You got a you got a great little family there, and you're you're gonna have success because you know you know how to work. And I think it's a tribute to your mom and dad. And I also like I like I said to all, to all the players that I coach, whoever's listening to you know, like I said, like some of the things that uh, a lot of a, a lot of fun things that we did together was 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 for one reason, and that was to try to make you better and try to win. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, I I believe we had some some really good character kids. I think I had some kids that had that needed some direction. That I hope that I helped them turn that corner and get them on the right track. And even if it's you know just those little things like making your bed, tying your shoelaces up, and yeah, well, the little things add up. Well, they always yeah, do. Exactly. So thank you very much for having yeah, me, and I'd love absolutely. to. Yeah, I love I love to come back on and. We'll go at her. Awesome. Thanks, Larry. Good night. Hey, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, next week, I have Gord Redden on. He was born and raised in Hillmont, Saskatchewan, played his junior hockey with the Weyburn Red Wings. 
During the 1970s, he would spend time in both Port Huron, Michigan of the IHL and Fort Worth, Texas of the CHL, all of which were part of the Detroit Red Wings minor league system. Uh, obviously, he eventually came back to Hillmond and won a Sask Alta title as well. So if uh, you enjoyed this week, tune in next week. All right, talk to you then.